I'll tell you what incredible energy. Thank you for that gift. Thank you for bringing that spirit into this space. I don't know if any of you have seen that movie, Slumdog Millionaire, which that song comes from, but I'll tell you a story of the persistence of hope, of that drumbeat of a life. I am so grateful for that today. This conversation we're entering into, this conversation about hope and possibility and movement together, this conversation, this journey we are beginning toward the house that love built. We've talked a little bit about it already this morning, but I feel like I owe you a little more about what is behind it and how we arrived at this starting place together. So I invite you to travel back in time with me, if you will, as Justin said earlier, Merry Christmas. (laughs) Travel back with me to last year's Christmas pageant here at First Universalist. It was my first time in attendance, and I came both as a parent of a young actor, but also as a minister. I watched as our children and youth came together to retell the ancient Christmas story. They each had their own costume and their own part. The shepherds sang about following the star. The animals gathered, everyone from sea turtles to leopards to goats. The angels came zipping by on their rollerblades and scooters. And still there, amidst all of that joy and lightness and sometimes chaos, the story was told again. The story of the unwed couple of Joseph and Mary forced by their government to travel a long way through difficult terrain with Mary oh so pregnant. On the night of what would become known as Christmas Eve, they stopped at every door looking for a place to rest, looking for a place for Mary to give birth. It was at this point in the story where something in me woke up last year. Our teens played the role of Mary and Joseph, and they were walking down that aisle right there. They were dressed in rags and coming down, and they were asking everyone they saw, each of us who were on the aisle, is there any room? Any room for us? We are tired and weary, and we need to stop. Do you have any room for us? And I'll tell you, I have heard this story so many times, but something happened in that moment. Our teens, some of whom I knew a little bit of their story, there they were walking among us, asking us, do you have any room? Do you have any room in this place, any room in your heart for us? And I know they were actors and we were an audience But when I saw us saying, no, no, we don't have any room, over and over, something in me cracked open. So flash back with me a few years earlier, even. This is a time when my family and I were attending the Christmas Eve children's service at my congregation in Rochester, New York, Just like here, each year they retell the Christmas tale there. The kids gather, and it's much more of an impromptu pop-up retelling of the tale. As you walk in the door, the director of religious education grabs you and gives you a part. You never know who you're going to (laughs) be. And on this particular Christmas Eve, when I showed up, I came with 
my wife and my son Henry, who was about three, and I was pregnant, really, really pregnant. In fact, it would be just a few hours later that I would give birth to our daughter, Kate. And we were there at that Christmas Eve service to distract ourselves, at least for me to distract myself. And because, well, that's what you do when your mom's the minister. You just show up. So we arrived at the door, and the director of religious education grabbed us immediately, and she said, ah, the holy family, here you are. This is great. Jen, you'll be Mary. Loretta, you're Joseph. Henry, hmm, Jesus' lesser-known older brother. (sighs) And she dressed us in rags, and she had us walk the journey through the congregation. She had us ask the question, the same old question, to friends and strangers. Do you have any room? Is there any room for us? And again and again, those friends and strangers said no, no room, no room in the inn. Flash forward with me now, back to just last year to our day of service. It's a day when our congregation comes together to give hours and hours of service to the community. It was my first one, and I was driving around St. Paul looking for all of our various work sites to stop in and say hello and see what we were up to. And I arrived at a house that many of us were working on, a house we were partnering to work on with Habitat for Humanity. The house was nearing completion, and there you were, doubled and tripled up in all of the rooms, painting and putting down flooring. And I went down into the basement and had a conversation with the man, the father, who would own the house with his family. He was there working side by side with so many of you, painting that day, trying not to bump into each other or get covered in paint because there were so many folks in that house. And as I stood with him, he told me a little bit about his story. He told me about his kids, all six of them. He told me about his wife. He told me about how they had arrived here. He told me about his work as a truck driver, about how much he loved it and how much he hated being away from his family, but how the money was good. He told me that one of the things he was most looking forward to about owning this home was saying goodbye to renting. He said he didn't mind living in close proximity with lots of other folks. That didn't bother him at all. But what bothered him was that each time they needed to find a new place to live, he would find what he thought was a great location, he would get ready, and he would make the phone call to the potential landlord. And he would get the other person on the phone, and they'd talk for a few minutes, and the potential landlord would hear his accent, would ask, how many kids are you bringing? And he'd say, six. And the landlord would hang up every time, he said. It happened over and over. He said, I know it's illegal for them to do that, but they do it anyway. There's not a whole lot I can do about it. Each time I call to inquire about a new place to rent somewhere, maybe a little better for us to live, they hang up on me like there's no room for us anywhere. I'll tell you, these stories feel like they are layered up, piled up in my mind. These stories, which are a bit different, the faces, which are a bit different, but the question always the same. Is there room? Is there room in our hearts? Is there room 
in our place? Is there room for us, room to welcome someone new, room to swing the doors of our hearts wide open? It's a big question, an age-old question. And I think we know the answer is not always yes. There is not always room. Some days there is no room, no room for the weary traveling stranger in our hearts or our homes. Some days there is no room for us either with our stories and our troubles, be it in the hearts of strangers or friends. We know the answer is not always yes. And I think we know, too, what it means, what it feels like to be both the asker and the answerer of the question. But still, it remains. That question that is often so hard to even ask in the first place. Is there room? Is there room for me? Room for my story, my struggles, my challenges in your life, in your heart? Sometimes when that question comes to us, we are tired and weary and we have no room for the stranger. We feel like maybe, if anything, we have just a little, a corner there in the barn of our hearts, if anything at all. And we wonder, is it worth it to even share that? Should we save it for ourselves? Is it even going to matter, that little bit I have to give? Is it enough to make a difference? But I think we remember when we give ourselves the space, we remember the deeper truth that whatever gift we bring, whatever we have to offer, whatever opening of our hearts there can be, it can be enough, especially if we bring it together. Love has a way of mysteriously multiplying itself. It makes room. It can be enough. Now, many of you, I know, already know quite a bit about Habitat for Humanity. Hundreds of us do this work together each year, whether it's through their Brush with Kindness program, the program that helps people to stay in and maintain their homes, whether it's with our stone cutters working alongside families as they build a new home that will bring a sense of place, a sense of stability and possibility to their lives. There are many among us here who have joined Habitat's Legislative Ambassadors Program. We go and talk to our senators, to our representatives, advocating for change. We take up offerings several times a year for Habitat. Some of us have mentored families. Maybe you've made or delivered lunches or treats to the work crews with your community circle or small group. How many folks have done one of these things or something else with Habitat? It's a lot of us. It's a lot of us, and it is building this relationship that we've had together so many of us are already engaged in the partnership in this heart-opening relationship, and there is room for more of us. There's room for each of us. And I know that it is quite possible that you may be sitting here thinking, I am stretched too thin for this. This is not my year, and that is okay if that is the truth. But I think that for so many of us, whether it's our bank account or our back that is feeling stretched thin, there is a little opening, a little 
dusty barn door in our heart that can be opened. This year, before the end of December, we will raise together $60,000 to become the primary financial sponsor for a house with Habitat for Humanity. The construction will begin later in the spring of 2014, and we will join together to provide days and weeks of labor for this house. This is a big commitment we are taking on. It's an unusual one, too, as the folks from Habitat are always happy to tell us. They say, $60,000, huh? That's usually a corporation-level gift. It's not something that congregations have typically taken on. And I'll tell you, it is a big goal that we have, but it's one I know we can reach. It's one that we've chosen together, a team of us. We've chosen this because we know it will change us. Now, practically speaking, you will be asked to bring your gifts, if you can, your donations to the house that Love built to our Sunday service on December 22nd. We know that not everybody will be able to be here that day, so we'll send out a letter, a real live letter that you'll get in the mail with a return envelope, and you can send it in prior to that day, or you can bring it with you on the 22nd. Our website is already set up. People are making donations now, and there'll be a card you can print out or pick up that you can give to others that says, I gave in your name to this project. We'll have a practice circle this fall called Taming the Holiday Machine that you can join up and talk through with each other. How might you do your holidays differently? How might you change your relationship? For those who are able, we'll commit to those days and weeks of labor. We'll bring lunch and cookies to our workers. We'll cheer each other on as we move toward a city and a world where no one will go without their basic needs being met. We'll deepen this already strong relationship we have with Habitat. And these are big goals right there. If we stopped right there, they would be large ones. Big goals, bigger than we have taken on in this way before. But if I am honest with you, if I'm honest with myself, these, even though they are good goals, they are not the real goals that I think we are aiming for. Ultimately, we are taking on this project, not just to raise money, not even just to help one family become more stable. We are taking on this project to be changed ourselves. We are taking it on to change in ways we cannot imagine before we begin. We are taking this on that we might know our power and potential as a whole congregation, children and youth and adults joining together, all bringing what we are able facing in the same direction and bringing our hearts and hands together in the work of justice. We are doing this to know our power, our potential for change in this world. And we're taking on this project, as a therapist might say to us, to work on our relationship with Christmas. <laughs> Maybe to work on our relationship with any of the winter holidays. So many of us have some baggage here. Maybe it's from our families or from our religious past or simply from this crazy-making culture of ours that emphasizes consumerism and spending beyond our means, this culture that tells us that the right thing will make us happy, the right present, probably an expensive one. The right present will heal or bridge that relationship with our mother or father, brother or sister, friend or postal carrier. A gift, an expensive gift, will probably fix this. 
we're taking on this project to remember that the winter holidays are not about spending as much as they are about the eternal presence of light in the darkness. Our holiday, whether it be Hanukkah or Kwanzaa or Christmas or several, these holidays are about taking the time to nurture the light that is there in our relationships. They're about making room in our hearts. They're about daring to live a life that transforms us and our world. And there is one other reason we are taking on this project, too. This reason, this is something that I think so many of our Unitarian Universalist congregations get stuck at. We're taking on this project to blast through paralysis. Paralysis that keeps us from acting for justice in the world. This project we're taking on, this house that love built, this invitation to look at our holiday spending and cut it in half or cut it in any way that we can and give it to a house for a family in need, it is an opportunity for us to step forward, to move, to engage. And I'll admit to you right off the bat, this is not a perfect project. No project we could select in the world is perfect. But I believe it is a worthy one. I know that given years of study and discussion and reflection, we will understand even better the issues of housing and homelessness in Minneapolis and the United States. I know that there are other groups out there besides Habitat who work with folks to stabilize and improve their lives. And I know that there is real danger here too, that if we frame up this project as charity, as us giving to them, if we do it in a way that keeps a distance between our stories and the stories of another person, if we do it in a way that separates us, it could do real harm, too. We have to open our hearts to the stories, to the tales, to the questions. Is there room? I know that this project, that no project can be perfect, but I also know that there is a huge danger in being stopped and stalled in critique. We welcome. We welcome your ideas and your feedback, your suggestions for a project next year or in the years to come. But this year, this year we are excited to make a choice and to move together, to move out of paralysis, to move into action and reflection into the reality that we will learn and grow and be changed, that we will mistake, make mistakes and learn again from those. Nothing can ever be perfect, not in our racial justice work, not in our lives, not in this particular project. The gift, the gift is being open to what we will learn along the way. The gift is being open to each other, to being bold, to taking risks, to knowing who we can be as a congregation when we stand and face and work together for justice. I know that this project will change us. I know that this will be one of the ways that our love, the love that we talk about each week that is at the center of our faith, I know it is one of the ways that that love will come alive. I know we are taking this on that we might say yes. When that question is asked again and again, is there room? 
Is there room in our hearts? Is there room in our lives? Let that answer be yes. Let us be open to being changed. Let us become that candle that Ruth talked about last week, that candle where the wick and the wax are ignited and our true essence of flame is revealed. So let us remember. Let us remember as we take on this project that yes, we will be raising $60,000 to become the primary financial sponsor of a house in partnership with Habitat for Humanity. We will be working side by side with the family and with other volunteers to literally raise the walls of that house. But the goal, the goal is something even more. The goal is the opening of our hearts, this possibility of being changed in ways we cannot even imagine. Let us take this up with joy, with possibility. Amen.